2: Love
0: Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Daniel Michael, founder and co-creator of the Mystery Universe Radio Network, and I'm here live on location in Bel Air, Maryland, in the house I grew up in, so I'm on a cell phone. Anyhow, you're listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine, our half-hour herbal class with Susan Weed, and we will be right back after this.
2: As we slip into dreams that are calling, blessed.
0: Hi, right, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Weed. And I see she's here. I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Microphone, microphone. Good evening, Susan.
3: Ed, good evening to you, Green. Blessings, how are you? Hey, all kinds of things happening, right? Solstice, lunar eclipse. Yeah, all kinds of yeah. things. I
0: was in the Yule gathering recently. <laughs>
3: Just at a Yule gathering. Indeed, so we are those of us who are uh, in the northern hemisphere at the darkest night. The darkest night with a lunar eclipse, so even the light of the moon is going to be shuttered. Time for really deep diving, deep diving into the psyche. And then followed almost immediately with Mercury go- going retrograde, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is not a good time to get out there in the world and talk to people. <laughs> Classically, whatever you say when Mercury is retrograde, you are going to regret or it's going to be misinterpreted.
2: Mm.
3: So we are really, you know being given a rare opportunity the last time there was a lunar eclipse on solstice I'm told was over 500 years ago wow so, as common parlance would have it do some soul searching mm-hmm. do some soul searching where are we going individually where are we going as groups, and what can we do to see to it that we get what we want? And that's going to – each one of us is going to have a different answer for that. And, of course, one of the few things that um, not just all pagans agree on, but pretty much everybody agrees on is do as you will with harm to none. hmm So we don't want to envision some future in which there's harm to anyone. In fact, someone told me this wonderful thing today. He said, did you know that Darwin wrote two books? And the first one, you know, was was about the survival of the fittest and kind of nature, you know, red in tooth and claws, you would have it. But the second one said that while all that's true, that evolution pushes toward kindness and compassion. Interesting. Isn't it?
0: It is. I think they do I think say... Th- Oops, Go ahead. Go ahead.
3: I think that's why the King Arthur legends are so vital to us, because, you know, that's what you know, King Arthur says, no, I have fight, not might. And I have compassion, not passion. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's just a cricket on the line with this.
0: <laughs> There might be. I'm in. I'm in a basement. I'm actually in the house I grew up in in, in Maryland. Um, I've been working uh, out of state for a couple of days. I am so. I am kind of on location here with my cell phone in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>
3: So what do you know about it being a lunar eclipse? What does that evoke for you? What's in your mental bank about that?
0: Oh, lunar eclipse. Um, Again, I think it just plays into the whole uh, the wisdom of darkness and of silence and introspection and, and all those sorts of things.
3: And I think, you know, you're saying you're in the house you grew up in, perhaps going back to our origins.
0: Right. Sort of back into the womb. It is an interesting experience. I haven't been here in a while. Just to yeah. see everything, and, you know.
3: And It's, it's actually a, a town that's
0: doing quite well.
3: A town that's good doing quite well?
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's not a place where I come back, you know, you come back and it's kind of broken. I mean, this one is... It does oh, uh, quite. Yeah, it's just right. it, it's a little different, but it's the same. So <laughs> it's it's funny.
3: <laughs> and what state is it in? Maryland. 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 Yeah, it's
0: a that's
2: The lovely, lovely, coastal
3: yeah. state of Maryland. A lot of ocean frontage in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm. All of that said, and happy holidays of whatever sort. I was just with my Jewish friend who is saying it's Christmaka this year. Because Hanukkah starts <laughs> the 24th, Christmaka, they're calling it. They were they were getting ready to decorate their uh, Hanukkah bush. She's very jolly about it.
0: Yeah. Can you the Hanukkah bush, I've heard of that before.
3: Oh, do you hear that other voice? No.
0: I think it might just be an interference.
3: Okay, then I will totally ignore it. What,
0: what I what I can do is when you start going, I might just turn my mic off and just it might it and might help with any complications.
3: That sounds like the way to do it. Yeah. So let's recap um, mm-hmm. what we learned last week about botany, and then go further exploring in botany, and one of the primary reasons that I like to introduce people to botany is that it's just a lot of fun. It really, I think, makes life um, more joyous to really get the great um, orgasm that is going on in nature all the time. And botany, because it is literally the study of the sexual organs of plants, is something that should be at least a little exciting to all of us. And last week we talked about how in um, times past (coughs) that individual herbalists had individual names for the plants. I used Hildegard of Bingen as an example, a woman who lived a thousand years ago. The fabulous herbalist, but we really have no idea what she used because she used her own names of the plants and didn't describe them. And how that really actually worked, because people were isolated <clears throat> and they didn't travel as so much so that we, her name is Hildegard of Bingen. Bingen being a town where she resided, but that as exploration and expansion and even the breeding of plants became more and more pronounced that that kind of isolated parochial naming of things started to be more and more of a handicap. And certainly in our global ability to communicate today, um, a common language for all of the plants in fact, for all uh, things that are alive on the planet, um, is even more necessary than usual. Learning, I often say, that learning is makes you a real citizen of the entire world. So it was with um, Christopher Columbus and other people coming from Europe over to the New World and discovering an enormous wealth of plants I was looking at a poster. I was just visiting in Arizona, and they had a poster of plants that Native Americans had given the world. Sunflower sunflower seeds, potatoes, tomatoes, pumpkin. Africa had gourds, but they didn't have edible pumpkins and squashes. Corn, of course. And it just went on and on. Maple syrup fabulous, fabulous things. So with the great expansion of the number of plants that we knew there to be and the expansion of our minds to try to grok this, we needed some kind of system to put it together. And I talked about how The learned men, because they were all men then, women were disallowed from the colleges, talked about should it be, you know, spirals or circles or triangles or so on, and that the form that they finally decided on was the tree of life. And that that tree had at its roots when they started making it, but which we've had to change, two kinds of cells. Cells with nucleus and cells without nucleus, and we've since found the third kind of cell deep in the ocean. So those cells are at the root of all of the, what we call the higher forms of life. And so we follow that trunk of the tree up And the trunk splits roughly into two. And that's animals and vegetables. And we agreed last week that we were going to say bye-bye to the animals. That's not botany. That's other things. So we're not going into that part. We're going to stay over here on this part of the trunk of the tree of life with the plants. And that that part also splits into two. And again, these are rough divisions. If you actually look at it, you will see that there's more branches than I'm giving you. Um, For instance, there are slime molds, which are kind of halfway in between plant and animal. They act like plants most of the time, but then when they need to, they just get up and walk off. Like animals would do, so that I'm saying, oh, it's split into this two is is really not totally true at all, and that second division is between the flowering plants and the non-flowering plants. Do you remember any of the non-flowering plants from last week? I give you a minute to turn your mic back on.
0: Yeah, it's back on. Um, non-flowering
3: plants. Um, I forgot. <laughs> right. Well, we talked about looking at a tree, and then we could see lichen on the tree. And that it, it, we might see moss and mushrooms.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay, mosses and things like that. I do remember that now. Okay.
3: Ferns. That so These are all non-flowering plants. And that horsetail is the most conspicuous non-flowering plant that we use medicinally. That in general, (laughs) except for the mushrooms and horsetail, lichen, moss, and ferns are not used very much in herbal medicine. And so we we once again said... For the purpose of our discussion here, we are going to bid goodbye to the non-flowering plants, fascinating that they are, however a microscope is usually needed in order to see the spores, because remember that this is, botany is a study of sex, of reproduction and the reproductive parts of the spores that we are going to be looking at, and that in fact, what we are going to do is that we are going to turn our attention to the flowering plants. Remember the last thing you said last week was, oh, my goodness, are we going to do any more about non-flowering plants? And I said, no, I promise we're done with non-flowering plants now. We're going to move on to flowering plants. Right. Flowering plants, unlike non-flowering plants, have, just like us, male and female so there are male sexual parts in the flowers and there are female sexual parts in the flowers some plants like grasses are so no frills that that is all they have Hmm. they have the male doodahs and they have the female doodahs, and they've got nothing else. And some plants, like roses or irises, have a whole lot of zippity doodah surrounding the male plant parts and the female parts. The primary reason for this is pollination. Six. How does the male doodah get its stuff to the female doodah? How is this going to happen? If there's a male part and a female part, then it is pretty obvious to anyone over the age of 10 that those two parts have somehow got to come together in order for there to be Mm new so there are two primary ways that this happens and we are going to call them wind and bees wind is pretty much wind It is literally the breezes and the winds that blow and can blow pollen from the males to the females. So if we're depending on wind, then we don't need to put on a fancy dress, do we? If if you're going to make pollen and you are going to depend on the wind to take your pollen to the girl of your dreams, the girl of your <laughs> dreams can't do anything to attract you or to attract pollination. So she might as well just do nothing. Right. Right, because the wind doesn't care, shall we say. The wind is going to blow this way or that way, not depending on anything that the plant is doing. So wind-pollinated plants tend to have flowers that don't look like flowers to us. If you ask people to name non-flowering plants, many people will name grass as a non-flowering plant. Even though many of us have seen grass flowering, because grass has green flowers, with, as we said before, just the male parts and the female parts hanging out without any petals or prettiness or color. We don't think of that as a flower. We think of daisies. We think of um, sunflowers. We think of echinacea, We think of tulips. Those are flowers to us. So to have someone say, no, that thing, that you know, like, I'm sure you've seen Timothy grass or foxtail grass. The foxtail grass is pretty tall, and it has, oh, two or three inches at the top of f- flowers, and it has like a soft bristle that comes off of it, reddish, so it looks like a fox's tail.
0: Yeah, more of like a fray almost. Or, or yeah. If like I'm saying that right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the flower. But that doesn't look to you like a flower, right?
0: Right, not what people classically think of as flower.
3: Not what we think of as a flower. Similarly, there's a plant that goes by a beautiful botanical name, Ambrosia artemisifolia, and a rather ugly common name, ragweed. (laughs) And it has green flowers. So people don't see it flowering. The other thing about, we'll come back to the ragweed, the other thing about wind-pollinated plants is that they, the males, have to make a lot of pollen. The wind blows where it will, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, yeah. So plants that are wind pollinated make far more pollen, I mean, on the order of thousands of times more pollen than plants that are bee pollinated. So the ragweed, which is a wind pollinated plant, has a green flower, makes huge amounts of pollen. But we don't see it as flowering, what flowers at exactly the same time as goldenrod. And we see the goldenrod, it's a pretty color. That right away tells us it's a bee pollinated plant. Because it has that pretty color and bees are attracted to pretty colors.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: They're going to want to pollinate that plant. So poor goldenrod gets blamed for causing allergies when it's really ragweed that's doing it. Hmm. In fact, I ask people to go and sniff with goldenrod in the fall when it's blooming and to notice the huge number of bees, wasps, beetles, and all kinds of insects that are crawling in and about and on the flowers of the goldenrod, pollinating it. Now, since those plants that are going to be pollinated by insects don't have to make a lot of pollen, like the wind-pollinated plants, they can use the resources to make something that pollinators like, which is nectar. So the pretty colors and the nectar of the plant are to us clues that that plant is going to not be, not have its intercourse by the wind, but by a third party. And so let's be mm-hmm. a little clearer about that, because I've been saying bees, and then wasps and beetles. And then, of course, the more general term, insect, but the most general term is pollinator, And it includes not only insects, but slugs and bats and even, on occasion, birds. So there are a great many different pollinators, but all of these pollinators are life forms, and so both nectar and color is going to be attractive to them. I'm sure we've all seen the picture of the bat in midair licking nectar out of a cactus flower. Mm-hmm. It's such a stunning mm-hmm. image, and that's exactly what we're talking about. That bat is pollinating that flower. It's taking pollen from one n- flower flower to another because it doesn't just drink nectar from one flower as I said the insects are crawling all over the goldenrod going from flower to flower so the wind blows the pollen from the male parts to the female parts and the wind mixes and matches and does what it will the pollinators also mix and match because that's one of the advances of sex the non flowering plants do have sex. It's taken us a long while to understand how they have sex. But in general, we would say that they clone. And what we think of as sexual reproduction is the mixing of genes which allows the expression of different parts of the genome in different individuals. So sexual reproduction mixes it up and makes a lot more variety and possibility to weather change. Cloning works just fine so long as everything stays the same. Wind pollination works just fine so long as the females are downwind. As we get more complex into true sexual reproduction with male parts, the pollen, and female parts, the ovary, the style, and the stigma, then we start to really move into an ability to create a huge variety of different functional forms. And thus the flowering plants are endlessly fascinating to us and we are almost endlessly able to change them. And I believe I talked a little bit last week um, about how easy it is to change the color gene of plants and how that was one of the very um, early things that we did with flowers was to take flowers and to change their colors so that we have not just the white and pink of the wild roses – But a huge variety of different colors of roses. Mm -hmm. And how we have been able through sexual reproduction and uh, changes wrought by the hard radiation from the sun to change and to breed food plants. From small, wild ancestors into large size, ready to feed big human beings here. So we have once again used up all of our time. And when we come back next week, we are really going to get down and dirty. So parents, you may want to decide whether or not your children should listen to next Because we are not just going to talk about the birds and the bees, which we already talked about tonight. We are actually going to talk about sexual organs and how pollination actually works and what's going on in the sex life of a plant.
0: All right. Well, thank you again, Susan. And green blessings to you. Thanks for joining us. once again, for this informative half hour, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern time.
3: Well, thank you for entertaining me and the whole Main Street universe. And remember, everybody, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. Green blessings. Good night. All right.
0: And good night. you listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with Susan Lee. See you next week.